Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. This is the final sermon of our sermon series, which is called Faces of Faith. And I realized something as just looking back over the years that I've been preaching and doing this. I talk about faith a lot, so I hope you're not bored of this, but, but there's, there's, it's kind of like the main deal in the church to talk about faith. So we talk about it a lot, and today we're wrapping up, and today it's like, the question is this that you should be wondering about is, how do you respond when we see other people that have faith in the scriptures? How do I take that on? What does it mean for me and for you to live as a person of faith, all right? So that's a huge question. So we've gone through this series. We looked at Abraham's surrendering faith. We looked at Hannah and her kind of persevering faith and and letting go faith. We looked at Jacob and his forgiving faith. We looked at Stephen and his humble faith. We uh, we looked at Barnabas and his generous faith. We looked at the father who brought the son to the disciples and and prayed, help my unbelief. What do you do when you don't have faith? And then um, last week we looked at Jairus and the woman and just their um, persistent faith. And again, the reminder is that faith is trusting in the character and the promises of God. That's what we're called to do. That, That through our day, through our lives, we are called to trust in God's character, who he is, and what he promises to us. And say, I'm going to live my life in that way. It's what it means to be a person of faith. But I was, I was talking with a friend this week, and, I, um, and he said to me, you know what, Don? Um, I'm, I'm losing my faith these days. It, it's, really t- it's just really tough to believe sometimes. He goes, I, I kind of look at what's happening in the world. He goes, I look at what's happening to the people in front of me and even people behind me. And he goes, I, I just am losing my faith. And then I was listening to a podcast this week. I listened to a Kerry Newhoff podcast. It's on Christian leadership. It's a really great podcast. But he had John Eldridge on. John Eldridge was a, is a Christian writer and speaker. Um, and John Eldridge said, he said, he has never, in the last year, he's received more contact through text message, through emails, through whatever, from people who have been Christians for a long time who said to John Eldridge, you know what, I'm really struggling in my faith. I'm really having a tough time. And what Eldridge thinks, and I wonder if this is really true, is that because we've been in a pandemic for two years, because all that that has done in us and to us, that it has, and what he said is that we have been drained and depleted over the last two years. And then when things happen, and things will happen in our lives, when things don't go the way we think they're going to go, we don't have the resources to continue to trust in God that he will make things okay. And thus, people start to blame God for what's happening, and we move away from our relationship with him. This is what Eldridge was saying in the podcast. And And I think it's really true. And then I started thinking about, what is it that hinders my faith these days? Because honestly, even as a pastor, you, you at times struggle with your faith sometimes. And for me, it's things like I, um, when I compare myself with other people that are not followers of Jesus, and their life looks much easier, 
much better. Uh, they don't struggle with the same stuff I struggle with. I go, oh, God, where are you in the midst of that? And then I start thinking, the other thing is when I think that my life should be all about my own comfort and um, my happiness. That that's really what life should be about. And when it's not like that, then I struggle. Lord, are you really there? Or you could, um, sometimes we can easily lose hope, right? When we start looking at the, the future or we start thinking about, um, you, know, you know, looking at maybe at our parents and how the struggles they've been going through and thinking, is that what we are going to have to deal with? And you kind of start to lose hope. And then the toughest one for me is when really terrible things happen to other people or to really good people. You go, Lord, where, what's going on with that? And so you, we struggle with our faith. And yet I believe we gather here on Sundays, we watch online, whatever it is, and, and, it's, and I'm called as a pastor to, to grow my own faith and to help you grow your faith, that you will have your faith will be an anchor for your soul, even in the midst of the difficulties that we face in our world today. So that's what we're here for today. So we're going to grow our faith. We're going to see what do the scriptures have to say? What is it, how can we live our lives in such a way that we have a faith that is growing, that we can take what we learn from all these other men and women who are people of faith and say, what does it mean for me to be a person of faith? So to start out, we're going to look at Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the, um, it's called, it, Unofficially, it's called the, the Faith Hall of Fame in the Scriptures. And it's all these people that are just people of faith. And then right in the kind of the beginning of it, actually, in verse 13, and they, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. We're not exactly sure. It could be Paul. could be somebody else. But the writer says this. All these people, and he, so far he's talked about um, Noah and Abraham, and he'll talk about others, or she. We're not sure if she wrote it but says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Isn't that interesting? All these men and women of great faith did not get what they saw was coming. And, and what, what the writer's talking about is did not experience the Savior coming in at this time. And that they continued to have to wait for God to show himself in that way. And it says that they died waiting. But then they use this phrase at the end, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth and then it goes on to talk about they were not so concerned about this country that they had right now, but they were looking for a future country, a heavenly country. And so my question is, what does it mean for us to live as a resident alien? Isn't that an interesting phrase? In fact, um, Stanley Warhouse and Will Williman uh, wrote a book called Resident Aliens that talks about how do we as Christians function in our world even though we are not of this world. Even though we <laughs> are going to heaven, even though we are uh, following Jesus here, what does it mean to, 
to live differently in the world that we're in. Dallas Willard has a, a great quote about who you and I are. This is what he says. You are a never-ceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. Isn't that great? That, that that's what we have to look forward to? That we are a never-ending spiritual being. And that we have an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That that is what we have to look forward to. Talking about that's what heaven is. That's what being with God for eternity is. That that is what we have. Now, I know there's a phrase out there that is talked about oftentimes. That you... um, that you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You heard this phrase before? Here's what I want to say. I want you to think about. What would it look like to be so heavenly minded that you are the greatest of earthly good? What would it look like that if you were so, so convinced that you are an eternal being with a good future in God's great universe, that that's where you're headed, that that's where life is leading you, that's the trajectory of your life, that you can then just live so differently on earth. That you can truly live as a person who's willing to sacrifice for others, that you're willing to be generous towards others, that you're not so concerned about your own hope, happiness, and what you all get. Because you know where you're going. You know what that's going to be like. And thus you can live differently now. Being a person of strong faith begins with the realization that we are part of a grand eternal story which revolves around a really good God. That that's who you and I are. And then Hebrews 11 continues after that phrase about being aliens and strangers and continues to talk about all these different people that were people of faith. Talks about David. Talks about um, Rahab and, and others like that. But then at the end, here's what it says. And I hope this is not too discouraging. It says, some were tortured, flogged, chained and put in prison, stoned, sawed in two, put to death, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. That's what it means to be a person of faith. That, that, That could be what life is like. And a lot of times we think, well, that's not fair. You know, God, I'm trusting you. I believe in you. I've I've tried to walk with you. My life should be better. My my life should be no problems. And yet, the scriptures remind us these people were flogged and chained and put in prison, sawed in two. And yet, these are what it looks like to be a person of.
And then we get to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and that's where we'll, we'll kind of sit with today a little bit. And again, the writer says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Right? So the therefore is, because of all that he just wrote about in chapter 11, because of all the people that are people of faith, because of all these folks who heard from God and obeyed what he said, and then he gives this imagery, right, of a stadium, a Greek stadium, and the games that happen in those places. And the imagery is that these great heroes of the faith are in the stands there to support those of us who are running the race now. And that these people are there to give us the encouragement we need not to give up. And then as runners, we look to them for the faith that we at times don't have. For the faith that we are lacking sometimes. And then the writer says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you. And again, the imagery is of the races, and they would, they would strip down to basically just about nothing because you don't want anything getting in the way of your running. Uh, the contest could also be something like wrestling or something like that, but the, he's talking about running here. And so you just have nothing that will get in your way. And sometimes there are good things that can get in our way of our faith. Good practices we have that, that take us away from God. Um, but then he says, and get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. And the imagery there is really interesting. It's, um, it's this idea that there's a sin that encircles us, that, 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 that our enemy, Satan, knows us so well and knows our weaknesses that, that there are certain sins that, that are more difficult for us to um, overcome. It, the imagery is like, of sharks that encircle you waiting for you to make a mistake. And that sometimes those sins can then cause us to not actually run the race that we're called to run. And the writer says, get rid of that stuff. And, and my guess is that as we talk about this and think about this, each one of us kind of gets an idea, you know what, I kind of know what that is for me. You guys, you know, it's, it's, um, it's fear that I hold on to, or it's uh, bitterness I can't let go of. Um, for some, it could be pornography that just grabs a hold of us. For others, it's uh, uh, eating too much. I don't know, whatever. It could be gossiping. What, but we all kind of get an idea. We know that, that what that sin is that keeps us from really experiencing faith. And the writer says, get rid of that stuff. And then he says, run with perseverance. And the idea here is that this is not a sprint, but it is a marathon. It is a longer race. 
that will truly take perseverance to finish. Because there are times, and, and those of you will remember this, those of us that if you were ever in a sport or work, there are definitely, when you work out, there are times where you just want to say, okay, stop, I can't do it anymore. When, when you're running a mile, you just go, I, I can't, I stop. And the writer says, no, run with perseverance. And what spiritual training will help you to continue on? We'll get to this in a bit. Because there are opportunities to throw in the towel and say, I can't do this anymore. So keep running. And the interesting thing about this scripture, too, is that all of the, the pronouns in here are plural. We in our Western culture have a tendency to make everything individualistic. But the writer is saying, no, that, that we are all surrounded as a group, as a church, that we as a church need to have faith. As a people that are gathered together, we need to have faith. And, and I think that this is really important for all of us because as a church, we are moving into a season where we need to have the greatest amount of faith that we've ever had. That moving into this merger is the greatest step of faith that we've had to make for a long time. Now, when those folks started this church, when Horizons and all that started, and they had nobody, and were saying, let's start a church, that was an incredible step of faith. But the step of faith that we are now taking is huge. And we need to run with perseverance the race that God has for us. We need to throw off anything that might hinder us as a congregation from being a people of faith. Keep on running. And then um, verse 2 says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Again, the imagery is this. That when the runner would start the race, the end would be down there. And you'd want to keep your eyes focused on the goal. And you wouldn't even want to get distracted by any of the runners that are around you. You wouldn't want to get distracted by anything. But your focus was fully on the goal. And the writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus. That he is the goal. And it's saying that Jesus is the best example we have of a person of faith. That how he lived his life while he was on earth is the best example of somebody who lived a life of faith. Who continuously trusted in his father. Who continuously lived his life in such a way that he was... He was um, that his heart was intertwined with the Father's heart. That he knew how to live this life. And so we look at how he lived it, how he spent his time, what he did. We say that is what we as followers of Jesus should also do. That he is our example. And that he lived a perfect life of faith in his Father, even to the place where he would lay down his life on the cross. And again, when we take communion, we'll be reminded of that. That this was his type 
of faith. A faith that would lay down everything for you and I. So, how do you continue? How do you respond? How do you be a person of faith? You follow the example of Jesus and you are a resident alien. You remember where you were headed. You remember that God has placed you here and where you were headed, that you are just visiting this planet. That we have a good future ahead of us. You throw off everything that hinders. You run with perseverance. You set your eyes on Jesus. And then this week, I was just so reminded by just this phrase. Since we are surrounded. I echo, what am I surrounded by? What do I allow myself to be surrounded by? And what would it look like if I really want to be a person of faith? If I really want to grow my faith and my trust in Jesus more, who would I surround myself with? And what would I surround myself with? Because we often know, we know what we are surrounded by influences so much of how we live our life. And so are you surrounding yourself with people of faith? Or are you surrounding yourself with others that don't want anything to do with God? People that don't really believe in God, don't really trust in God. And what do you surround yourself? Are you surrounding yourself with the Holy Spirit? that the Holy Spirit would be the one that continues to grow your faith. I just have this little thing. I know one of the things I struggle with sometimes is just the whole intellectual side of faith. That, you know, that, all that. And I just wanted to say that there are some great books out there. And I'm just going to, this one's called The Language of God. It was written by Francis Collins. Now, Francis Collins is Dr. Fauci's boss. I know for some people that doesn't mean much to y'all, but for me that means he's a really smart guy. And what he did, Francis Collins is a believer. He has a faith in Jesus. But he also headed up the whole genome thing where they mapped out, mapped out all the DNA and all that stuff. And for him, his work in science strengthens his faith in God. And I think people like this are so important for us to surround ourselves with. Because we can have so many other people that are people of science saying, oh, there's no God. There's nothing to look forward to. And yet someone like Francis Collins says, no, there is a God. And I've seen his fingerprint all over creation. So be people who surround yourself with others whether through books, whether through relationships, who help feed your faith and grow your faith. And then one final verse as we're done. Galatians 5, 6. Galatians 5 is an incredible chapter. If you need just one chapter, read that one. Here's what Paul writes. He's talking about, do you, do you need to know the law? Do you need to what circumcision play and all this sort of stuff? And then he says this crazy phrase, crazy phrase. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. 
That's a big statement. The only thing that counts, all that matters, is faith expressing itself in love. That the faith that we have in God, that the trust we have placed in Jesus, causes us to be people who then love. This is what the Christian faith is all about. Having our faith in Jesus and loving one another and following him as our example. Because here's what I would say. As difficult as this life can be, as hard as it might be, The writer in Hebrews says that he has written these things so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And our God wants us to be people who know his encouragement, who know that he is walking with us, who know that we do not have to go through this life on our own, that we would be people of faith, that we would be people who trust him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because you know where you're going. You know who you are following in Jesus. And you throw off everything else that hinders. And no longer, no matter how life or how difficult life gets, you don't grow weary and you don't lose heart because of him. Because of Jesus. Let me pray for us. So Lord, it is my prayer that you would um, take these words. Take these words that um, are your words. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, use them to grow our faith. Thank you so much that Jesus trusted in the Father, had faith in the Father to the extent that he he would go to the cross for us. Remind us of that good truth. Remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Remind us that we too, that we too can experience grace, forgiveness, and new life because of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.